I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? I Welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is Theology Unplugged. I am Tim Kimberly, the executive director here at Credo House, and Michael Patton is currently duct tape in his office, squirming around like a fish on the floor, and uh, Sam and I are delighting in just the two of us being in here. Uh, Michael, I don't think, is squirming, but uh, couldn't be here today. But Sam, it's great to have you here. Well, it's good to be here. Well, we were going to say he's also squealing in there, asking <laughs> to be set free, but we're ignoring him. That's right. That's right. Um, but we're glad to continue this series. And just a heads up of what Theology Unplugged is, is that what we really want to do is be people who are seeking the Lord, who, who love the Word of God, and who love to discuss theology just simply is thinking or studying about God, or, or we could even say just talking about God and um, learning about God, and what we want to be people who, who sit before a great God and learn and, and help instruct each other because we are being instructed by the Word of God through the power of the Spirit, uh, opening our eyes and our hearts to who God is, and the unplugged nature is that when we get together, when uh, Sam and I get together, or, or Michael, when we get together, uh, we don't have this predetermined uh, whole bunch of things that we're going to talk about already set out in outline form. But what we say is, as we're seeking the God, let's get together and let's bring up topics that will hopefully be beneficial for you, hopefully be beneficial for the church in the sense that you can just hear a conversation, hear a discussion on certain topics, and uh, and hopefully it, w- it will help you think through issues. It will help you uh, hopefully just deepen your faith and, and deepen your thoughts of God that will result in a deeper worship for God. And so that's our desire. And we've been in the series called um, Reasons Not to Believe. And many times I think, Sam, it's good to focus on the gospel or focus on belief, and sometimes to do that in the sense of saying, this is why you shouldn't believe, and this is why you shouldn't believe, and this is why you shouldn't believe. And, uh, and, and a lot of it I was thinking about, um, about the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians, is, in many ways, are people who are starting to tweak their belief, or their view of the gospel seems to not be so clear anymore. And uh, we can discuss, was that people in North Galatia or South Galatia, and mm-hmm. were those people who were, uh, you know, what was really going on, and, and who even were these people, and all these, we can get into all these side discussions, but I think generally in Galatia, what we're seeing is that upon believing it is possible, even upon believing, for us to start going astray or for us to start forgetting really what the gospel is, who the gospel is, and and to start following some of these other ideas and really get to the point where Paul says, what are you guys doing here? Where has this fog come in from? Why is there a fog in your midst? And sometimes we need the, the sun to come and to shine in those foggy areas so the fog can lift, and once again we can say, aha, I see the gospel more clearly. And, and and that's really what this whole series is about. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the more I've thought about it, when we, when we say reasons not to become a Christian, um, invariably in answering that, we're going to have to begin articulating reasons to become a Christian. 
And it seems to me, the more I've thought, given thought to this, um, that there are a multiplicity of reasons. And the problem is, is when we uh, focus in on one to the exclusion of others. Uh, I mean, there are a number of, le- of appeals that are made in Scripture. Uh, mm-hmm. for, I, I'm just thinking of the very famous one of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Yeah. So uh, the question, uh, if somebody said, is it a legitimate reason to become a Christian because I want rest for my soul, whatever whatever that means? Yeah. And it would seem that the answer to that is yes. Yeah. But we wouldn't make that the sole or maybe even the primary reason. There are certainly other factors that have to be involved. So... Um, so as we progress in this in this discussion and try to understand a little bit more the nature of what the gospel is, why is it good news? What is good about the news um, that uh, that we proclaim concerning who Jesus is and what he offers? We're going to yeah. have to look at a, a wide range of grounds of appeal. Why, why does, you know, I think uh, Paul's statement uh, in Romans when he's talking about his grief over his uh, his fellow Jews, mm-hmm. and he said, "My heart's desire is that they be saved." Well, immediately we then have uncovered yet another motive. You know, what mm-hmm. is it that they're, that Paul wants them to be saved from? Yeah. What does he want them to be saved to? Yeah. And uh, so we're going to have to address a number of different factors in terms of what is the ultimate. Is there an ultimate reason, or are there um, a whole kaleidoscope as it were of differing reasons that together constitute the 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 grounds of the appeal of the gospel yeah and i agree and i and i think that in this series we should spend one or two or or maybe even more of sessions or or broadcasts really focusing on well then what is the reason to believe and uh, and we will be moving in and out of that and around that and through that as 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 we go uh through every broadcast but but we have looked at a couple already uh, the first one we looked at is that i just want to be happy and so i'm going to be a, a christian because i want to be happy and and we we looked at that and and kind of tore that apart as as that should not be our consuming passion and reason for becoming a believer then the last broadcast we looked at uh a reason not to believe is is so that uh, Michael gave the illustration of the guy who said, "If if I believe, can you promise me that my kids won't suffer?" Mm-hmm. And so, kind of this idea that it's this force field that comes around you when you believe and, and prevents you from any types right. of pain and suffering. Yeah, it insulates you against all the heartache and the hardship of life. Yeah. Um, when in fact, oftentimes uh, it's precisely the opposite. In fact, yeah. um, you know, you just think of of uh, what Ananias was told to tell Paul, who was then Saul, you know, mm-hmm. I must show him the many things that he's going to suffer for my name's oh, sake. Yeah. Uh, and that was the, actually the uh, part of the grounds of the appeal that was being made to, to Saul to uh, embrace Jesus. So. Oh, man. Well, yeah, to think that God tells Ananias to tell Paul, you know, uh, right. or, or to say, you know, I'm going to show him that he must suffer for my name. Say, I remember Chuck Swindoll preaching through that and saying, you know, can, can you imagine 
shuddering when you hear that. You know, could you imagine uh, God telling you, Sam, that, you know, hey, uh, just go and tell Tim that he's going to, you know, that part of what I'm going to do is just show him how much he's going to suffer for me. I mean, to to go to bed at night knowing that that is a reality over you is that God has a plan for you, for his glory, that includes your suffering. And and that that is a good God who is all-powerful, uh, who, who can end any suffering or pain at, at, a, at a nanosecond and, uh, and says that I'm going to utilize that. And so, so we, we went through all, all of that last broadcast. And this broadcast, we're going to step into a, a little bit of a, uh, what I would say became a controversial issue over the last few months and, and has been a controversial issue in the church uh, fr- from the beginning, really. Uh, but uh, this view, though, that a reason not to believe is because I don't want to go to hell. And so you go up to somebody in your church, Sam, and you you start talking to Nancy that that's sitting there uh, getting ready for the service to start. And, hey, Nancy, how long have you been coming here to Bridgeway? And, oh, I've been here for about three years. Oh, that's really great. Are you getting involved in the church? Yeah, I serve here, here, and there. And, oh, yeah, how long have you been a believer? Oh, you know, I've been a believer for, for 25 years. Oh, Nancy, that's, that's awesome. Uh, tell me, you know, why did you come to believe? Well, 25 years ago, I was... I was nine years old, and there was a Sunday school teacher who spent the whole time telling me about how much my teeth are going to be worn down when I am in hell, and that I'm going to be gnashing my teeth, and uh, I'm going to, my skin is going to be cracking, and, uh, you know, I don't say this lightly, but, I mean, there are teachers who will, who will say this. They'll, they'll mm-hmm. go through, you know, this is what, if you are in fire and fire cannot be consumed, that means your flesh will burn, but it will not burn up. It will continually burn, and your teeth will continually wear down. Down. All right, have and we so, lost some listeners? Have you all decided to turn the broadcast <laughs> off as Tim waxes eloquent on the horrors of hell? <laughs> Come back. Don't, don't, yeah, don't, yeah, don't, don't tune us out yet. Sam will be speaking soon. So, uh, But, uh, you know, that is done for 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds uh, where you know, they go to a camp or something and say, hey, well, let me first tell you about what hell is going to be like. Now, do you want to go there? Is that where you want to go, Nancy? You want to go to hell? Uh, well, no, I don't want to go to hell. Anybody would be a moron to go to hell. So, uh, and then, uh, and then this guy tells Nancy, "You and know, Nancy, if you just pray this prayer after me and raise your hand when I tell you to, and, and stand up when I when I say everybody stand up and walk forward that wants to become a believer, you won't go to hell anymore." And uh, and so you know you'll just know for the rest of your life that you won't go to hell. So Nancy tells you, Sam, you know the reason I'm a believer is because I don't want to go to hell, and uh, and I know that now as a believer I'm not going to. In other words, it sounds like if we can kind of boil this down a little bit, it sounds as if what we're saying is that uh, the the sheer motive of self preservation is not. Um, in itself sufficient reason or good grounds for becoming a Christian or saying that you have become a Christian. In fact, I mean, we're opening up a a real can of worms here. We might even need at some point to ask the question, in the case of a person such as Nancy, if if an individual says that they have converted to Christ simply and solely for the sake of self-preservation so they wouldn't have to hurt in hell— did they, in fact, truly come to Christ? Yeah. Is that a legitimate conversion? Is that true new birth? Uh, or uh, is that, um, again, almost, a, as I said, you know, a kind of a pragmatic 
uh, way to create a sense of well-being now. Okay, I feel good about my life now because I know I'm not going to have to suffer later. Yeah. Would we have? Would we want to probe a little bit more deeply into Nancy's soul and say, um, "Tell me a little bit about the nature of your conversion. Uh, uh, wh- what do you think about Jesus? Do you see him simply and solely as one who delivers you from um, bodily and psychological and emotional suffering?" So uh, that's a question that we that we really haven't probed yet. That we I think we're probably going to have to, and that is. What do we do with the individuals who would confess honestly, yes, those are the reasons why I, quote, unquote, became a Christian? Yeah. Would we then really want to say uh, or, or perhaps ask, did you, in fact, become a Christian? Or did you just simply um, join the church like you would a club mm-hmm. and you just decided to hang out with a new set of friends and you do something on Sunday that you, prior to your so-called conversion, didn't do? Yeah. Was there a legitimate new birth? Was there a true regeneration in their hearts? Have they embraced the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith? Um, that's a that's a very important question to ask. I would I would press Nancy on that point. Our hypothetical Nancy here. Yeah. Um, and and I would wonder about the legitimacy of a so called faith that was motivated solely on grounds of self-preservation. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to experience the horrific sufferings that you just described mm-hmm. uh, that will be... Uh, I could have gone on much yeah, longer, I'm too, sure. if you hadn't have cut me off. I know it. <laughs> yeah, Sam, I mean, I'm a t- and, and I think that's what we need to press into. And, and I think, you know, the my hope is the blessing in this broadcast is that by pressing in, we can see the gospel more clearly and we can realize, because I think in many ways... Uh, salvation. You know, we are a pragmatic people. You're not going to buy something. You're not going to buy a computer unless if you know it's going to work for you and you know that you're going to get out of it. You don't do it just because you feel like it's a it's the right thing to do. Or you know, your motive is pragmatic. Your motive in most of life are pragmatic motives. What is this going to do for me if I do this? So we live in a pragmatic world, and so I think it's it shouldn't surprise us if pragmatism of someone just saying, uh, you know, I, I heard that the alternative is hell, and I don't want that, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever the opposite of hell is. That's going to be my faith, and if it means one time raising my hand and praying this prayer, that gets me a get-out-of-hell-free card that I can keep in my back pocket for the rest of my life and go and live however I want, then, you know, that works for me, and that's pragmatic. And what we need to push back and say, does it work? <laughs> is it really pragmatic, or is it not? Are they, are they actually fooling themselves and thinking they are pragmatic? But actually, it doesn't work. They, you are, you are fooled into thinking that 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 is sufficient. And um, and what I, I what I don't think we should we should push back on Nancy, but I don't think we should instantly say. Well, Nancy, for 25 years, you you're, you haven't been a believer or, or something like that, because there is a part of discipleship that comes in here. Um, you know, I, th- I think Paul even said that uh, in some ways uh, in, in Galatians 1.6, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. Not an idea, not hell, but I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
not that there is another one. There, are, there isn't a second gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to dis- distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven uh, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we did preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Then he says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I think what Paul is pointing to here is he is directing us to Christ. And and I think that that is what, what we're getting into here as well, is that the gospel is not about hell, it's about Christ. And, you know, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So, so hell can be a part of when we talk about the gospel, but it's because the focus is on Christ. And I think an example, just to give someone an example, let's say Nancy uh, dies, and she does go to heaven. And she's in heaven, and Sam, you're in heaven, and I'm in heaven, and the three of us, we're standing there, and Sam, you say, hey, I heard that there is a worship of Christ at Gabriel's Colosseum. So let's just say there's a Colosseum in heaven named Gabriel's Colosseum, and the mighty angel Gabriel is the one that uh, that has this named after him, and he's kind of the master of ceremonies at this at this Colosseum. And, uh, and we say, hey, wow, Jesus is going to be there. We to worship him. Oh man, I'm in. Sam, are you in? Yes, I'm in. Nancy, are you in? No, I'm just glad I'm not in hell. <laughs> you know, I, I'm really glad that I'm here in heaven. <laughs> right. And so, uh, you know, I don't, the Jesus thing, I'm not, I'm not super crazy about that. You know, I, I, he got me here, so I'm really thankful for him, but I'm just really glad I'm not in hell right now. And so I'm going to go over here and, uh, you know, I've planted a garden over here in, uh, in my kind of corner and I'm going to be over here just doing my thing. And you guys tell me how it goes and everything. Um, but what you recognize is that uh, two people have a consuming passion where the center of their universe is Christ. And because Christ is the center of their universe and not ourselves anymore, we are no longer preserving ourselves. We're, we're trusting in the one that has preserved us, trusting in the one that has died for us. Uh, believing in the one that came, that lived a perfect life, whose whose death was on our behalf to pay for our sin, but death could not contain him, and he rose from the dead, defeating the last enemy of death, and that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Those who are trusting in the gospel of Jesus, as, as Paul says, the focus is on Christ, and those whose focus are on Christ are those who, who believe, and those who are believing because of themselves, their focus is not on Christ, and therefore in heaven their focus won't be in Christ either. Right, and, and in fact, I'm. Let, let's just think for a moment. Let, let's probe this question a little bit more by coming to the most famous passage in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, mm-hmm. but have eternal life. So, in in some sense. The, he's telling us here, do you want to perish? And the answer, Nancy would say, no, I don't want to perish. Do you want to experience eternal life? Well, yes, I do. So in one sense, a reason or a motivation or a, uh, uh, in a sense, a provocative cause for Nancy coming to faith is the desire not to perish and he goes on, you know, in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
And so is it legitimate in some sense to say, I don't want to be condemned, therefore I'm coming to him in faith? Mm-hmm. And so in one sense, um, I, I think we would at least have to concede that the fear of perishing and of condemnation is a factor in in the nature of saving faith. But it's but standing alone by itself as the sole grounds for why we and I'm putting the word in quotes here, why we believe in Jesus mm-hmm. or why we quote unquote convert to Christ. If it's no more than to escape condemnation or to escape the the sort of perishing that um, that John three sixteen through eighteen is talking about, then we would be concerned. You know, it may well be, for example, that we would discover in, in talking with Nancy that she may initially have been drawn to the church and to Christianity by the uh, horrible portrayal of hell that you, her Sunday school teacher, Thank <laughs> or, you. Her, or her friend. Uh, portrayed for her, yeah. and that, in a sense, got her in the door yeah. of, the, of the church. But through her time uh, being exposed to uh, the Word of God and to other Christians, she came to realize that um, what was what is of even greater importance than escaping punishment is coming to realize that she has... Um, rebelled against and defamed and, um, um, in a sense, committed cosmic uh, um, uh, treason against her creator, Mm -hmm. that the one infinitely glorious and good being is the very one whom she has defied and denied. And that deep awareness, what we call conviction of sin, uh, becomes far more um, of a of a powerful motivating factor in her life than the prospect of what she's going to suffer because of it. Yeah. In other words, there, there's a difference between me or Nancy or you on the one hand um, coming to an awareness of the fact that we are created in the image of God who is infinitely glorious, infinitely beautiful, infinitely deserving of our devotion and our love and realizing how far short we have fallen in that. There's that on the one hand. Mm -hmm. And then there's the secondary reality which says, because this God whom I've treated in this manner is infinitely just, I am deserving of eternal separation from him. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, what's what's the more powerful motivation? The desire to escape that, that judgment and that punishment? Or the desire to um, um, to be restored to a relationship of love and harmony and obedience and knowledge and devotion to this glorious God whose will I have violated. Yeah. So is it conviction or is it the consequences yeah. that is motivating Nancy? And uh, I think where we're moving, and we'll probably explore this in, in, the, in the future mm-hmm. programs, is that it's going to? We're going to eventually come around to say it's this conviction, yeah. it's this awareness of who God is and what I have done, and the realization of how horrific that is, and the desire to be reconciled to Him, 
and to experience the fullness of what it means to be in a relationship of love with this God, this creator, that's going to be the fundamental motivation. The consequences of not experiencing that certainly can play a role. I think I don't doubt for a moment that, um, that the Lord can use that in deepening our conviction, but if it's nothing but consequences, yeah. if it's if it's nothing but Nancy saying, I, I just want to preserve my own well-being, yeah. uh, but there's no awareness of who this God is uh, who supposedly is inflicting these consequences, then I would want to say, Nancy, I, I'm concerned that your faith might be deficient. Yeah. And we need, we need to explore that a little bit more. Yeah, and I totally agree. I, th- I think that the idea here is if your faith is built on this, on this idea that you don't want to go to hell, you really just need a Savior uh, one time when you raise your hand and then one time when you die just to ensure the transaction is successful mm-hmm. and that you actually make it to heaven and don't go to hell. So you just really need a Savior a couple times where uh, I think that it, as we mature as Christians, hopefully we are, can, we are more than we ever imagined meditating on the gospel and what it means that I need a Savior when I wake up in the morning, what it means I need a Savior right now as I'm talking, what it means I need a Savior in an hour, and how I need a living Savior because I— he is my focus. He is my passion. He is my savior, and and I don't I, I don't need just this get out of hell card. I need a savior, and and that savior has been gracious to me, loving towards me, has given all for me that I cannot live for myself. You know, as First Corinthians fifteen that that the or Second Corinthians fifteen that those who live will no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and 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 lives. And um, and I think the idea too. I was thinking through an illustration and. And the one, sometimes my illustrations are crazy, and this one might be, but but the idea kind of came about that uh, my wife and I, Patty, we're approaching our 10-year anniversary, so in, in a little bit over a year, and, and that's going to be a really big deal for us, but now now this isn't necessarily true, it, well, it's not true at all, but by God's grace, but let's say in the last 10 years, I've had 10 affairs. Okay. Now, by God's grace, I haven't. I have. I've had zero, uh, which is a testimony testimony to a living Savior. Actually, Nancy, if, if you're listening, to th- not Nancy, <laughs> Patty. If you're Patty, listening to yeah. this, we want you to be sure that you hear that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, she knows uh, God's uh, mercy. Yeah, there, there mercy is no Nancy in Tim's life. That was purely a. <laughs> That's in Sam's Bridgeway. That no, was a hypothetical a uh, yeah. uh, illustration there. Okay, so so let me. This illustration is going to take a few seconds to develop, but but let's say uh, as Patty and I approach our ten year anniversary, that that I've been unfaithful ten times, and but each time she has shown incredible mercy and incredible grace to me, and and she has forgiven me beyond my wildest dreams. She she has uh, kept me uh, as her as her uh, husband. Um, she has continued not only kept me as her husband, but we've had three kids together. And uh, and has just showered grace upon me. <clears throat> and let's say as we approach, I'm not getting choked up. I had something in my throat there. Not like I actually. This is a real <laughs> illustration. Uh, she has been gracious to me, but not because of those reasons. Um, but now let's say though that as we're approaching our 10 year anniversary, and my wife has shown all this kindness, all this grace towards me, has uh, even let me add this to the illustration. Uh, I was actually dying, and she actually gave me one of her kidneys as well. And so 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 as part of this, you know, she could have just spit on. 
on me and divorce me, but instead she even gave part of herself for me as well in a kidney transplant. And we are approaching the 10-year anniversary dinner. And uh, I know that we can't afford it. It's never in our budget, but we're going to go to Ruth Chris Steakhouse. No, you can't right? afford it. You're <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, no, I've this, eaten there. Yeah, this is astronomical. <laughs> I took out a loan before I went. <laughs> no. Okay, so we had already we always said for ten years. You know, we eat hot dogs and mac and cheese, but we're going to go to Ruth Chris and we're going to go all out and have the most amazing steak dinner you've all. There, are, I don't think there is a Ruth Chris in Oklahoma. I know that there's no. one in Dallas. So we're actually going to drive to. Dallas just to go to Ruth Chris. And for 10 years, as my wife has forgiven me, has lived with me, has woken up in the morning next to me, has encouraged me through, I've been fired from jobs. I've, you know, as my wife has been with me through all of those ups and downs, has even given her liver for me. In the 10 years. Her kidney, not her liver. She would be alive. Right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my my illustrate. You could tell it's not true because uh, I don't have my story down 100%. But you might know where I'm going here. Imagine, though, in those 10 years, if my consuming passion had been a steak, Ruth Chris steak. That is why I am with you. That is why, because, you know, I could have been with somebody else, you know, instead of been married to Patty, I could have been married to, to Jane or to, to, to Nancy, maybe, or to whoever it may be, you know, because it, whoever it was, you know, if, if I was believing in Buddha or I was believing, you know, whoever it was, my passion is a steak dinner at a 10 year anniversary. So give me any woman, I don't care who it is, because I just want a steak dinner. And, uh, and think how much of a slap in the face. That would be my wife if I said, hey, honey, you know, you might not know this, but my goal in the last 10 years has been sitting right here in Ruth Chris Steakhouse having one of these puppies. Thanks for helping make this possible. Because without you, now it could have been somebody else, but without you and this steak, you know, I wouldn't be able to experience this. And my wife would have, I mean, she would have killed me right there. Ruth Chris Steak. In steak knife in my heart would have been the end of me, you know. Uh, I, that's where I would have died in Ruth Chris Steakhouse. But and I feel like in God's eyes, if your passion and hopefully that's kind of hits home with you, that if your view is to get out of hell, that is a slap in the face to your Savior. Because yes, I get a Ruth Chris steak, but that wasn't the reason why I've been in a relationship with my wife for 10 years, you know, and why she has been so forgiving to us, you know, and our lives with our Savior, we have cheated on him more than 10 times. You know, we cheat on him in a way every day, every day that we seek ourselves, that we, instead of trusting in him, trust in ourselves, instead of living for him, we live for ourselves. And in graciousness, he has said, I didn't just give you my kidney, I gave you my son. I don't only just give you my son, I've given you the spirit as well to guide you in this life and to lead you safely home and to teach you more about me so that we can even be closer. And my passion is not that you would just make it to the wedding feast of the lamb, but my passion is that at the wedding feast of the lamb, your continual focus would be on the Savior because of all that he has done for us. And that when our motivation is just getting that steak dinner, um, as C.S. Lewis would would say, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but basically our expectations are too low. We've set the bar too low, and it's not as if we are thinking of God for who he truly is and what he's truly done for us, but our expectations, instead of uh, desiring the best, we're content to sit down with cow pies, I think, is the way that he illustrates it, you know. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and if, I think if we could kind of summarize this simply, coming back uh, uh, to Nancy's, uh, the illustration we've used, uh, we, we would want to challenge her and yeah. say, Nancy, um, wh- what we would suggest to you as the reason for your becoming a believer is not simply that you might escape suffering, that you would uh, be absent from hell, but that you would be present with God. In other words, is there something about the person of your Savior who is so intrinsically glorious and beautiful that you are drawn to him Mm -hmm. and to the prospect of delighting in him and glorifying him forever and your such that that is the driving force it yeah. is the presence of god not just the absence of hell that's right that uh, that must be uh, the decisive factor i think in in the motiv- in motivating you to embrace jesus as lord and savior yeah yeah i totally agree and i, th- I think uh, that is the focus and i think this ties into last week as well that our lives here can feel like hell at times, and we can encounter suffering and pain and feel like, what's going on here? But when we recognize that presence with God is greater than an absence of peace or an absence of trouble or suffering, that even with suffering, even with pain in this world, even with trouble in this world, that if we have the presence of God, uh, we recognize, yes, not only will we not experience hell, not only will we experience heaven, but we have a presence of God that will carry us through uh, this life and and lead us into the next and lead us safely home. And and that is why, as well, uh, we don't want to just say, uh, and we didn't really bring into that it's, uh, it's kind of popular today to just say, oh, there is no hell, don't worry about it. And, and that doesn't bring anyone, uh, you know, we're not swinging the pendulum that way as well. Uh, what we're saying is that there is a hell. Uh, God does not wish anyone to be there. We do not wish anyone to be there. Um, but the presence of God and a focus on Christ and the purity of the gospel that hopefully a fog will lift and you'll see more clearly a purity of the gospel that will lead us to to in believing in Christ with a focus on Christ that we will not perish but have everlasting life. Sam, you have the last word? Yeah, just to kind of wrap this up, coming back to John 3.16, uh, it is true that we are told here that whoever believes in him should not perish. Yeah. And I suppose people like Nancy could stop right there. They could put a period at that point in the verse and say, that's why I'm a Christian, because I don't want to perish. Yeah. But then, of course, the next phrase is, but have eternal life. Yeah. And then when Jesus later in John seventeen three says, and this is eternal life, that you might know the one true God and, and Jesus whom he has sent. Yeah. So... Um, that's what we would want to set before Nancy as the as the principal motivation. Here is the prospect of eternal life, of knowing the one true God and mm-hmm. all that that entails. Yes, it means you won't perish, but you have to have in your heart more than simply a desire to avoid perishing. Yeah. And that is the hunger and the passion to experience true life, namely in knowledge and in fellowship with the one true God. 
Amen, amen. Well, and that is our passion. If uh, that is our passion for for Nancy, uh, but that's our passion for us. That Sam and I live in that, and and the passion for for you and for those that you influence in your family, in your work, uh, through your church. And so we would love to hear from you and talk with you about this. If you would like to continue discussing this, um, you can contact us through uh, the Credo House website. Just go to credohouse.org, and there's a contact tab there that goes directly to my Myself and to Michael and uh, and Carrie and we would love to interact with you and uh, we should probably go and rescue rescue uh, Michael from his office floor and allow him to breathe a little bit um, so that he does not see heaven sooner than uh, than he is, should I guess and so uh, for Michael who's not here and for Sam and for myself this has been Theology Unplugged and we will catch you next time. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes Store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.